0: Good morning again. Morning. Morning. Happy Mother's Day. All the mothers out there, it's wonderful. Well, folks, um, uh, my name's Graeme. If you don't know me and you're visiting, I see a few faces I don't know, which is great. Uh, welcome. I'm going to ask a little favour to start off with. It's a bit dangerous. Can you indulge me just for a moment? Can I share one more story about Dubai? <laughs> Please. It really works with a sermon and... Fine, all right, good, thank you. (laughs) Fine, all right, right, you can do it. Um, (coughs) Yeah, that's funny about Mother's Day, though. In my family, the most important thing is that I just get in before my brothers in wishing Mum happy happy Mother's Day. That's just the most important thing. So anyway, um, I haven't done it yet, but I'm still feeling pretty confident. Um, (laughs) Shows you something about my brothers. Yes. Okay, so here we go. Um, Let me indulge you just for a moment, and then we'll uh, pray together. So not long ago, Dubai looked like this, the history lesson. The history of the Middle East is pretty fascinating, to be honest. Particularly this part of it. Um, this is Dubai around uh, what we think about 20 or 30 years ago. That's, what, that's the World Trade Centre, you can see there. And this is uh, Dubai today. Come on, you can do it. Might need to put that up a bit higher there, Rod, right, sorry. Okay. Um, there it is. There it is today, very busy. Uh, this, is, this is what's called the D- Deera, uh Clock Tower. You can see there before, and that's about 1985. 85. Can you imagine Sydney in 1985? I think it's a bit busier than that. And that's now downtown Deira today. Um, this, is, this is a great picture. I love this next picture here. Here, this is again, uh, well, there's a bit of debate. 1985 on 1990. So it's gone from that in 1990, 1990 so that in 1990, 1990, amazing, and then that over there on the left in uh, present day, it is it is truly spectacular. And then um, another famous landmark in, in Dubai is what's called the Palm Jumeirah. So this is just uh, in- incredible engineering. So here's the Palm Jumeirah today, and here's the Palm Jumeirah 15 years ago. <laughs> Um, (laughs) So, just incredible. It is, uh, of course, a city that's built on sand or water, as the case may be. Uh, People call it the the sand pit. It's an amazing feat of human ingenuity. It's a city that has moved from a lifeless, arid, uh, harsh, dry desert landscape into really a for most part, a a green and living and abundant city. The images we see today, particularly the ones we see in the tourist brochures. So how did this happen? How did did this come about? Well, and it didn't take long, but here's the answer. Desalination. Ah, the serenity, isn't it beautiful? Um, Desalination plants, they line the coastline. Desalination plants lead to these little black little tubes At the bottom of everything green you see, if you get some time there one day, um, they're little irrigation tubes. And so desalination leads to water and of course water leads to life. It's this water that sustains life and gives life in this place. So... Friends, the story we read today from 1 Kings chapter 17, as we continue this uh, series, this, this epic tale, you could put it that way, you've got uh, King Ahab and, and, and the Baals. And over here you've got the true and living God, the God of Elijah. My God is Yahweh. That's what his name means. These, these two thrones, which throne will you worship? And as the story we read today from 1 Kings 17 we read that it's God through his word, through his word given to the the people uh, through his mouthpiece, Elijah, God through his word that gives life and sustains life. So if you haven't got your Bible open already, get it open. You'll need it today for sure. You need it every day, really. You've got to make sure I'm saying the right things and then grab an outline as well. That's on the green sheet there. That'll help. I've even put some spaces there so you can scribble down some notes and uh, fill in those gaps later on. Why don't we pray and uh, get stuck into this uh, very interesting little story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that, um, uh, Lord God, you speak to us. Lord, you are a God of of word. And so, um, Lord, we, we pray that we would open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's recap just a little bit first. Picking things up where we left off last week, we met King Ahab of Israel. Now, he's ignored God and his word. He's really pushed him away and he's, he's sought to rule his own life without God. In one sense, he's sat on the throne um, but it's his own throne, and God has been pushed aside. This king of Israel, he rules Israel in his own life without God. In fact, what he's done, he's really thrown down the gauntlet and challenged the sovereignty of God. Now, just pause for a moment on that. Again, recapping last week, he's challenged the sovereignty of God, the rule of God. It's madness. Madness, as if to think he would win as if to think he would come off better. In fact, the one sure thing we could say about King Ahab is that he will fail and death will await. Well, Ahab in disobedience to God, remember he's the king who, of Israel who did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king before him. That's a big call because if you look at the kings before him, they weren't much good. Ma- uh, he, he, married out, he married a foreigner. He married outside of Israel. He married Jezebel. We'll look at a map in a moment to remind you. But he, Jezebel, um, who uh, from Sidon, a nation who worshipped the Baals. And in direct defiance of the Ten Commandments, he worshipped other gods and he made idols. And in disobedience to the word of God in Joshua... Under Ahab's watch and instruction, Jericho was rebuilt. Well, Ahab and consequently much of Israel who followed their king, they, they shook their fists at God and they challenged the Lord of the universe. But what we said is that you can't win when you take on God. You can't win. Israel and her king found themselves under the judgment of God. First of all, drought. Drought. So Elijah, God's mouthpiece as prophet, the office bearer of God's word, pronounced in chapter 17, verse 1. Uh, You see halfway through there, he says to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah then is himself told to hide out in the Kerith ravine. Uh, In verse 2 tells us that, where the Lord will provide for him. So here's our little map. It's a great map because it's got camels on it. Anyway, um, (laughs) it must be very authentic. There's the Kerith Ravine, big black arrow, um, just uh, east of the Jordan River, and I think this might work. Hey, look at that. There you go. There's the Jordan River. And by the way, there's Zarephath, and there's Sidon. We'll get to that later on. So he's told to hide out in the Kerith Ravine ravens. Ravens, in verse 4, were told that they are indeed rats with wings. No one liked ravens back then. No one likes them today. They're beady-eyed and they're sort of from an Alfred Hitchcock movie and they're scary, aren't they? Um, but the point is they are the most unlikely messenger of God's provision. Ravens, These they really are. They weren't very popular back then. And, and <laughs> you might ask for a minute, okay, what sort of, what sort of meat... Did these ravens bring? Well, in the words of one commentary, don't ask, simply cook it up well and eat up. <laughs> 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 <It's, yeah. laughs> so, Elijah, though, Elijah is spared from the drought. God had important things for him to get on with in the coming days and years. Elijah's task has not yet been completed. So long as the work God calls us to do is not complete, he will see that we are sustained. It's interesting, isn't it? I'll say that again. So long as the work God calls us to do is not complete, he will see that we are sustained. Well, in verse 7, the brook inevitably dries out. It is a drought, of course. And once again, the Lord spoke to Elijah So there's good news, isn't there? See, there's comfort. All is not lost. God will not remain silent. God has spoken. His prophet is alive and well. There is life on offer. And the rest of the chapter really tells us how. So let's pick up the story from verse 8. Quite a long introduction there, but I think helpful to try to remember the story as we go through. So we're on the first point of the outline, Elijah the widow and the provision of life. Elijah is sent to Zarephath. Uh, go at once. Remember Zarephath, top left-hand corner there, outside of Israel. Remember that for a moment. Here's the second aspect of God's judgment. The first being the drought. The word, of the word of God in Elijah is withdrawn from Israel. Elijah had already been withdrawn, being told to hide out in a cave. But that time it was in the Kerith Ravine in Israel. Now... Look where he's going. He's going up into foreign territory. The departure of Elijah spells the absence of the word of God from the life of Israel. God's favor no longer rested and did not rest on Israel. Zaraphath is, is Jezebel country, the region of her father. This is Baal'sville. <laughs> Gentile land where on every second corner is an Asherah pole or a statue or some other god to worship. Remarkably, it's here that the Lord will sustain Elijah and provide for him and not just him either. So Elijah meets a poor widow. Uh, Verse 12, poor and hungry, she's desperate and hopeless, and, and as I said, verse 12 says, she's making her last meal. She's preparing to die. And along comes Elijah in verse 13 and asks for something to eat. Now, I must admit, when I first read this, I thought, really? So here's this broken woman. She's poor and hungry and desperate. And, and Elijah asks for a snack. Perhaps he'd like a bottle of wine to go with it too. Perhaps a piece of cheesecake. I'm not quite sure. You see, it's a little bit like, a, like asking a beggar on the street for some money. Do you want have a, can I have a loan, buddy? Uh, well, perhaps God had something else in mind. The, the gods of the, of the Baals had left her in the pit of hopelessness. See that? And she's on the verge of death, but who will, who will sustain her? Well, it's the Lord, the God of Israel, who will sustain her and give her life. Here, in the heart of Gentile territory, one of the the Baal's subjects will trust in the Lord's word, will trust in God's word, Yahweh's word, as the Old Testament refers to God, as the Lord mercifully mercifully sustains her and provides for her. See, God's grace is moving beyond boundaries. So verse 13, let's pick up the story there. Let's have a read of it. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake for me from uh, what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away. And did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Let's note two things of significance here. First thing is we note the widow's faith, the widow's faith in the promise of God, in the word of God. In fact, she staked everything on God's sheer word, that promise in verse 14. And in verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. Isn't this what faith boils down to? Knowing that God's word is good. Isn't that it? And trustworthy and therefore acting on it. That's what faith is. That's what trust is. Knowing God's word is good and we act on it. Uh, Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That God's word is good? Because if you do, well, then of course you'd act on it, wouldn't you? Most of us will never be theological superstars. Um, No offence or anything, but it's just life. Uh, Either lie. Or philosophical apologetics heavyweights. Uh, Instead, we'll just be like this widow who trusted in the Lord. Leaning all her weight on the mere word of God. She knew that God's word was good and she acted on it. She gets it, doesn't she? She gets what faith is. Um, Ahab didn't. Jezebel certainly didn't. And much of Israel this time did not either. This foreigner in the heart of the Baals understood faith and the Lord sustained her by his word. Gave her life. And every morning, I love this bit. Every morning as she got out of bed and headed off to the kitchen, she saw her box of cornflakes and they were full, (laughs) so to speak. She was reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness to her. The jar of flour was not used up and the oil had not run dry. In keeping with the word of God, the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Every morning was a fresh episode of the faithfulness of Yahweh to his promise. Isn't that true for us also? Every morning is a fresh episode of the faithfulness of God to his promises to us. Worth pondering, worth thinking about, isn't it? What about this second thing? Well, the second thing to note is that in sustaining and providing for this widow, well, Yahweh was bypassing Israel. His favour was resting on this Gentile. His favour was removed from Israel. Why didn't God send Elijah to a poor, helpless and hopeless Israelite widow? There were plenty of them around. Well, that would miss the point. We're talking about the judgment of Yahweh. We're talking about God's judgment. See, Elijah's journey to Zarephath was an act of judgment upon Israel. Now, that's something the Jews understood even in Jesus' day. Do you remember what, this happening? 900 years later, Jesus mentioned this very delicate subject that we're looking at in 1 Kings 17. He mentioned it to a bunch of Jewish leaders in a Nazareth synagogue. And as a consequent, they drove him out. This story is a source of embarrassment to them. They got what it meant. They understood it was judgment. And they didn't like it. And just as the Israelite leaders in Ahab's day who rejected the word of the Lord, the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day rejected the word of the Lord even in their midst. Even in their midst, in flesh and blood, they drove him out. Luke 4, 22 to 26 says, truly I too, this is Jesus, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, that's the drought, and there was a severe famine in the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any one of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Well, let's continue on in 1 Kings 17. And we we're on point two of our outline there, Elijah the widow and her son, the gift of life. Uh, let's, go from, let's read from verse 17. Well, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Is the Lord still the sustainer of life? That's the question we ought to be asking as we read through this story. We can't help but not ask that question. Things were going so well. The the Lord sustained her, uh, providing for them. God was good to his word. Then suddenly the widow's boy dies. Bang, just like that. Why does the Lord act in this way? Oh, God must be punishing her for her sins, she thought mistakenly. Uh, one moment all is well, and the next everything falls apart. What's God doing? Perhaps you've been there. Uh, wh- why did God look after me in such a way, and then crush me with this distress? Why were things going so well, and then it all fell apart? I lost my job. I, I my wife got sick. My husband had an affair. I, you can keep going. See, God God actually gives no clear answers here. You know, that, there's nothing in this text that gives us an answer to that at all. But there's great comfort here. There's a, a comforting honesty that the Bible asks the question anyway. Throughout this narrative here, that's what we're asking God, what are you doing? What's happening? There's nothing to hide here, is there? God's not trying to hide anything. God both blesses and he baffles. Well, Elijah steps up and he pleads in anguish to Yahweh for the life of this boy. Verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die. You see, he asked the question. Nothing to hide. Then he stretched out himself, or stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. So twice he cries out. Now, this is no magical formula. To us, reading this, it looks a little bit odd, let's be honest here, that he, that he lies on top of this boy. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be any prof- prophetic moment or anything like that. It's just what happened. He's not some super prophet. He's just simply God's servant crying out in weakness and dependence. And, of course, that's what prayer is, isn't it? Prayer is crying out to God in weakness and dependence, trusting in God in dependence, God's appointed means of grace in times of trouble. That's what prayer is. Friends, what sort of what's sort of, what sort of church do we want to be? We want to be a church just like that that cries out to God in weakness and dependence, that we need him. Well, verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down to the room in Uh, from the room into the house, he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. The message is that the word of of the Lord, the word of God, spoken through his prophet Elijah, gives life. There's the message. It is God who not only sustains life, but now it's God who gives life. That's the message. That's the gospel that Elijah is telling this woman, this widow, this foreigner in Zarephath. Here the boy's death is presented as a challenge, you see, to God's adequacy and authority. Was Yahweh just like the other gods? He really couldn't do anything. His hands are tied behind his back. Was he just like all the other religions? Here's how one author uh, put it. He can act across the border from Israel inside on, but is there a border that ultimately cannot cross, that, u- that he ultimately cannot cross? A kingdom in which he has no power, when faced with death, must the Lord, like Baal, bow the knee? And in 1 Kings 17, blasts out this answer, really pumping it up to 11. God not only sustains life, But God, through his word, gives life. God is the victor over death. Nothing can handcuff the Lord's supremacy. 1 Kings 17 points us to the Lord's power over life and death, his power in bringing what is lifeless to living. And this is what the widow believes. This is what Ahab rejects, of course. This widow, the most unlikely of converts, Wrong country, wrong status, nothing really to show for herself, yet God chooses her. Let's listen to her confession, that the Lord gives life through his word and see that she see what she knows. What she knows is the Lord gives life and it's through his word. Verse 24, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And she follows the Lord God, the true and living God, the God of Israel. Centuries later, we read this same power in Jesus' power over life and death. The synagogue leader called Jairus uh, approached Jesus and pleaded with him to save his dying daughter. Come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed, he said. Uh, he agreed, but on his way, Jesus held up and time had passed This is the second reading Rob was reading from Luke. Jairus was still with Jesus when some of his friends came up to him and said, Jairus, your, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing, Jesus turned to him, just as Elijah turned to this widow, and he said, don't be afraid, just believe. Try to put yourself in this scene. So when Jesus arrived at the house, there was mayhem as crying and, and mourning and wailing. And Jesus said, why, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they all think Jesus is a, is a loopy. Come on, you know the difference, don't you? you know, but Jesus was saying, no, no, like sleep, although she is dead, she will wake again. In any case, the people responded in disbelief and they laughed at him. Jesus then, with Peter, James and John, And the child's parents went to the girl and simply with a word in Aramaic, Talitha Kum, which means get up. And she stood up and she walked around them. Uh, No doubt I reckon she would have given mum and dad a hug. Possibly Jesus got a hug too. (laughs) See, unlike Elijah, Jesus doesn't plead or cry out to God. You notice that? He instead was simply a word, from his mouth he gives life. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the word of God. That same word that Elijah spoke, that God spoke through Elijah, the word of God come in flesh, he is the word of life. Jesus is, as John says later, the resurrection and the life. He's the one who sustains life and gives life to the lifeless and the dry. John 5, 24 says, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Friends, today is the day to be like that widow, um, to come to Jesus, the Word of God. As Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Know that Jesus is the truth, as he says, the way, the life, the only way to God. In fact, fill yourself with the goodness of God, the goodness of the Word of God. For just as the desert needs water to live and to grow, we need Jesus to live and to grow. So drench yourself in him. <laughs> drench yourself in him. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who speaks. Uh, Lord, sometimes we don't, uh, we don't trust you. And sometimes we don't show the faith that even that widow showed, even though we have your word with us all the time. We pray, Lord, that we would, uh, we would immerse ourselves, uh, drench ourselves in your word. Father, we thank you um, that you give life and that you sustain life. So, Lord, sustain us. Sustain us by your word. We thank you for the life you've given us through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin. Lord, please help us not to be like King Ahab, but indeed like this this widow. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. stand and sing in response to what we've learned today. Uh, Sing about where our hope lies on the solid rock. Let's stand and sing.